So we're on our last sermon on the series on the Holy Spirit. We've been spending the last three weeks, and today's week four in Acts chapter two. We started with the person of the Holy Spirit, and then the power of the Holy Spirit, and then the purpose of the Holy Spirit. And today, to conclude our series, we're in the place of the Holy Spirit. And so for the, for the fourth time in a row, you can open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We're going to read a little bit further this time. We're going to start in verse 1, as we have been for the last three weeks, but we're going to read to verse 21 instead of just verse 13. And I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of the Word. I'm going to honor the Word of God, participate in this part of the service, and remember that this is the best thing you're going to hear from me, and it's pretty awesome. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your word and your goodness and your spirit. Thank you that you are here and present with us. Thank you that we can come together, that we can turn our hearts and minds, our eyes and ears to you. And I pray that we would do that now. Open your word to us, Lord, and speak your truth. Come and work in our hearts. We invite you, Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So the place of the Holy Spirit. We're going to go through three points and a response. What is the place of the Holy Spirit? Why is that the place of the Holy Spirit? What happens when the Holy Spirit enters that that place? And then the response. So what is the place of the Holy Spirit? 
We have to clarify a few things before I can answer that question because we use the word place in a number of different ways and most of them don't work when you're talking about God. The first and most obvious one is a geographical location. The playhouse is a place. The hub is a place. Your home is a place. And if we're going to talk about place in that sense, then everywhere is the place of the Holy Spirit because God is omnipresent, which is a fancy word for meaning all present in all places. There is no place, no geographical location in heaven or earth, anywhere in the universe, physical or spiritual realm. There's none of that that, that, is, that the Holy Spirit is absent from. So that sense of the word place is out. There's another sense of the word place, which is where something is possible. So we can talk about, like, you might say, um, you know, this is no place for humans to live. You talk about Mars, for example, and you mean like, well, this isn't, there's no possibility there. You can't take a fish and lay it on the stage. It won't survive, right? And again, you can't use that sense of the word place to speak of the Holy Spirit. Um, there's a third sense of the word place. We use it as a sense of, of where something is rightly found. So a really easy analogy is sports. The place of the goalie is in the net. They are free to go other places. They are able to go other places. But if they're doing their job, they're in the net, right? And, um, and that is the right place for that. And, and again, you really can't use that when you're talking about the Holy Spirit because like, everywhere is the right place for the Spirit of God. So how can we talk about a place for the Holy Spirit? Well, there is a fourth sense of the word place one that we probably don't reflect on very often. It's, it's a relational sense of the word place. And I want to illustrate it with a couple stories. So we have four kids, and Nathaniel is now five. Shortly after we moved here, he was just four at the time. His birthday's in December, or in January. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Ellie's birthday's in December. <laughs> um, and, uh, and he was playing in his room, and I came into his room, and I sat down. I said, can I play with you? And he looked at me, and he was so surprised, happily surprised, but surprised. He's, and he said, he said, Daddy, you don't play with me. And I was like, and you know what that feels like, right? Now, let me clarify. He meant I don't usually come into his room and play with him. I do play with my kids often. But when he's alone in his room playing quietly, we tend to let him do that. <laughs> And there are certain activities that you don't join your kids in with as often, right? Like, I love playing with him at the playground, and I like playing hide-and-seek and playing games that we can play and going for walks and things like this. But typically, when he sits down to play with blocks and cars, I don't do that very often. He's not wrong. And so there was this moment in my heart of like, oh, what have I done? <laughs> like, how have I messed up that that's your response, right? Um, but he was super happy, and we played together, and we had lots of fun. And what was going on in that moment was I was making a place for us together. It's not about the geography. It's not about what's possible. It's not about what's right, except that, you know, a father ought to play with his kids. So it's right in that sense. Um, but I just wanted to be with him. And so I'd come in, and I'd sat down, and I'd ask to play with him. And in that action, I had made a place for us. That's what we mean when we're talking about the place of the Holy Spirit. There's another way we can talk about this. Um, one of the things I've always admired and loved about Christina's parents is the way that they make a place for people in their lives. So if you talk to her, you, you can hear about how they took in strays as she grew up. And we're not talking about animals, we're talking about people. People who needed a family, 
people, and where I'm not, nothing official, like they didn't adopt children or anything like that. But when one of their kids would make friends with someone who, who was having trouble and whose home wasn't a place of safety, then they were welcome at her house. There was a place for them there, a place where they knew they belonged, a place where they knew they were welcome, a place where they knew they could be safe and taken care of, right? And that's another way, that's another relational sense to the word place. And that too is what we're talking about when we talk about the place of the Holy Spirit. And so with that in mind, I can tell you that the place of the Holy Spirit is in each of us. That this is what God, the Holy Spirit, longs to do, is to come and dwell among his people and to make a place in our hearts for relationship, for love, for joy and play and growth and all of these good things. To draw us, by living in us, to draw us into the heart of God, which is another place you can talk about the place of the Holy Spirit. Because the heart of God is for us a place of safety and a place of welcome and a place of belonging and a place where you can be taken care of. And so the Holy Spirit comes and makes a place in our hearts with us so that in him we can find our place in the heart of God. That is what the place of the Holy Spirit is. That's what's going on in this passage as the tongues of fire come and rest upon the disciples, and as the disciples go out and preach the good news, that the Spirit is being poured out on all people, and that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, because the Spirit is present. And this begins to lead us into the second question, why is this the place of the Holy Spirit? It is because of the love of God for us. That is the why. What I was doing with Nathaniel, as I go into his room and I say, I want to play with you. Can we play? And I just want to be with him because I'm, I'm his father. This is but a shadow, a small reflection, a tiny image of the love of God for us. It's nothing in comparison to the love of God for us, but it gives us some idea of the flavor, just a small one. And we experience that and that image and that reflection as we love the people around us, but God's love for us is so much deeper I don't know what each of you looks at when you look at yourselves in the mirror, what you see and what you think. But I know what I hope you see and think in experience, which is something of what God sees when he looks at you. He sees his beloved son, his beloved daughter, his precious child, who he wants to be with and to know and be known by, and who he wants to bring new life to and to renew and to reconcile and to transform in the power of his love. He looks at you, and he looks at you with that love and that pleasure and that joy and all of those things. And one, someone came up and shared to me as we were singing, you're beautiful, that that's how God looks at us. And he sees us and he says, you're beautiful. And the psalmist says, you are wonderfully made by God, right? We need to know that. Those are the reasons that the place of the Holy Spirit is in us to draw us into God. Yeah, that's exciting. For some of us, those words are so familiar. Um, I think we ought to respond a little bit more like Nathaniel, like, what? Like, that's really cool, and that's really exciting. And, and it's got to be new to us every day, the love of God new every morning, um, where we 
where we can step out and know that God is with us and still be awed by that fact, right? And, and uh, songwriters all throughout the ages have tried to capture this, right? Like that, that God has created the stars and he's bigger than all of the universe and yet he chooses to dwell in our hearts, right? You have the miracle of the incarnation where God himself can come as a little child. You also have the miracle of the coming of the Holy Spirit where God himself can come and reside with us and walk with us, right? And so the psalmist again, who are we that you care for us? We're made from the dirt. We're so tiny compared to everything, right? And yet God cares and God loves us. The other half of the why of this, it flows out of all the same reasons, is that in God's love, He's never satisfied leaving us where we're at. And we can get messed up on this, okay? Um, We can think of God as someone who looks at us and he's disappointed. Like, we're not who we're supposed to be. We're not doing as good a job as we're supposed to be. We're not, we're messing everything up. We're sinning. We're wrecking stuff. Um, God doesn't look at us like that. God doesn't look at us with disappointment. But he does look at us with longing. And the longing he looks at us with comes out of his love. And again, you can think about this. If you love someone and you see them doing something that you know is harmful to them, that you know is not a good decision, you, you might be sad about it. You might be hurt by it. But in your love, what you want for them is not for them to feel guilty. It's for them to be well. It's for them to stop doing that thing that hurts them because it hurts them and you love them and you want them not to be hurt but to be healthy and to be growing and all these kind of things. And that's the longing that God looks at us with. He longs for us to be all he's made us to be. And so that too is a part of the why this is the place of the Holy Spirit. The place of the Holy Spirit is in us to draw us into the presence of God, into the heart of God, because by having the Holy Spirit in us and by being drawn into the presence and the heart of God, we are transformed. And that's what God wants in his love He wants really good things for us. He wants better things than we can imagine. Just as as the love that he has for us, we can only catch glimpses of that and shadows of that. And Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 3 that we would have the power to know the heights and depths and widths, and I'm missing one of the dimensions, the length of the love of God, which is beyond imagining. The, The love of God is beyond imagining, but so too is his plan for us. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what God has planned for those who love him and those he loves. So this is the why, and it leads us into the what happens when the Holy Spirit takes up his place in us. Because what happens is the work of God in us. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us in the moment of salvation. So the moment that we accept the grace of God the moment that we submit to his lordship, that we allow him to work repentance in us, at that moment, we receive the Holy Spirit. Prior to that moment, the Holy Spirit is still at work, okay? So let's be clear. And we've heard stories here of that going on. Um, And that's really, really actually cool. By the time you come to the point where you say, Jesus, I want to follow you, God's been at work long before that moment. Some of us are aware of it. Most of us are not. Most of us are completely unaware of the fact that God's been at work, but he's there. And in his love, he's already at work. But when we accept him, then he enters in. 
and he, and he becomes a part of our life. And so the first fruit of what happens when the Holy Spirit takes up his place is salvation, the first and most important. And scripturally, salvation is not, we think of it as a one-time thing, and there's nothing wrong with that, but the scriptures speak of salvation in both past, or all three, not both, past, present, and future. That our salvation was accomplished by Jesus on the cross. That our salvation is being worked out in the present in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that our salvation will be fulfilled when Jesus returns, right? And that all three of these things are true. And so it's the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit to bring to completion what has been started in us and what was started on the cross. And so this is the first thing we talk about when we talk about the coming of the Holy Spirit, salvation. This is what happens when he takes up his place in us? The second thing is, and I've already said this many times, is that we are drawn into the life of God. And that is a progressive, ongoing thing. That's what it means to grow as a Christian, to draw closer and closer to God, to go deeper and deeper into the life of God, to know him more and more, and to join in the conversation in the life of God more and more each day. And we can talk about that in terms of prayer, one of the great definitions of prayer is prayer is joining in the conversation of God. We can talk about that in terms of discipleship and being formed into the image of Christ. We can talk about that in terms of worship and how we grow deeper. And you can just do this in all these, how we grow deeper in worship and how it grows deeper in our hearts, right? Because God cares about our affections. And in all these different ways and many more, we can talk about how we are drawn into the life of God. Third thing that happens when the Holy Spirit takes his place, about the what, is that we are equipped. We are equipped to be the people of God on the mission of God. We talked about this a little bit last week when I said this is the purpose. The purpose of the Spirit is to reveal Jesus to us and to equip us to be the people of God on the mission of God. And the language we end up using around this is the language of spiritual gifts. This is what we're talking about when, primarily when we talk about the equipping. Um, there is no church without the presence of the Holy Spirit, and Acts chapter 2 and onwards makes that very clear. And, and the actual practical working out of that is that each of us, in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, in our walk with God, are gifted in ways that are for the sake of the body and for the mission of God in the world. But, and I'm not going to get into all the specifics, I know as soon as we bring up spiritual gifts, the gifts of the Spirit, um, we immediate, a lot of us immediately think of the lists. We think of the lists of gifts. I can't possibly, we'd be here a long time if I was going to go through all of those. That's like a sermon series and you take them one at a time. Um, and you may have lots of questions about the specific gifts of the Spirit, and that's okay and that's awesome and I'm happy to talk to you. I'm not going to talk about that today. I want to talk about some of the foundational understanding around these things that I think we often leave behind when we get too specific too quickly. Because as soon as we start talking about spiritual gifts, we have a habit of abstracting them from the person of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit and the purpose of the Spirit. We take them out of the story and we usually, without intending to, put them into the context of modern life and modern language. Um, and both of the words we use for this, the common language around spiritual gifts, lend themselves to that. So the word spiritual, for most people, is something along the lines of non-material. 
Um, we've got the spiritual and we've got the physical. It has to do with religion, has to do with God or gods, has to do with kind of the realms of potentially the mystical or whatever. We're talking culturally, that's how we use the word. And if we're not careful, when we hear the title spiritual gifts, and I like, I much prefer to say the gifts of the Spirit to avoid that. We hear the title spiritual gifts and we abstract it like that. We take it out of the realm of the scriptures and, and of the Bible and of the story of God. And we think about it as being, well, these are special, strange, quasi-magical, superpower-type gifts. Um, now, they are really cool. <laughs> the spiritual gifts are incredibly neat. And the power of the Spirit is awesome and much more than any kind of superhero have, ever has or will have, not that they're real. Um, but we shouldn't take it apart like that. Scripturally, spiritual means something very specific, and I'll come back to that. We do the same thing with the word gifts. So we, we know what a gift is, um, and when you talk about a person, a gifted person, what you usually mean is a person who is endowed with or has developed some specific and impressive talents or abilities or skills, or who has some kind of innate, like, you know, a gifted basketball player is someone who's just, they were just naturally good at it. They started out and they were better than most people, and now they've trained and they're incredible and they're in the NBA. Or pick your sport, right? Or pick your talent, a gifted mathematician, et cetera, et cetera. And, and again, we've abstracted these things, and what we're talking about is a quality that somebody has and decides what they do with and how they develop it and all of these other things. But when we're talking about the gifts of the Spirit, neither of these actually work that way. Neither of the words work that way. Paul is very much at pains in the letter of 1 Corinthians to redefine the word spiritual away from precisely that kind of cultural definition of being non-physical and quasi-mystical and all these other things. Um, it seems from his letter, his first letter to the church in Corinth, that that's exactly how the church, the Christians in Corinth, thought of spirituality. It's a, a kind of like you know, we're more spiritual than you. And Paul walks through this and he says, the spiritual person is the person who is filled with the Spirit of God and being formed into the image of Jesus. Because what is truly spiritual is the things that are of the Spirit. That's what it means from a biblical perspective. You're not going to be able to change the way that our culture looks at that word, and you may not be able to change the way you look at that word very easily because it's just all around us all the time, which is, again, why I like to say gifts of the Spirit. Um, but that's what it means. It's of the Spirit, of the person of God, of the presence of God, of the power of God, of the purposes of God. And you can't pull them apart from that. So they may or may not have to do with physical or non-physical things. That's not on point. That's why some of the gifts of the Spirit are things like helps and administration, which are highly practical, physical, this-worldly kind of gifts, because the Holy Spirit is not just concerned with one part of our existence, but the whole of it, right? Physical, mental, emotional, relational, spiritual, the whole thing. And even there, as I say spiritual, like, how, what do we even mean when we say that? But of our relationship with God, right? He's concerned with us in all of those places. We talk about gifts, and when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, the word in Greek is charisma. It's from the word charis, which means grace. Um, it means given freely. It, so it's the things of the Spirit given freely without being earned, without being deserved. And we use the word charisma to mean something very different. Again, um, 
but, you know, there we go. So these are the unearned, undeserved things of the Spirit that He gives us as we walk with Him. And so when we are equipped, we need to be very clear. God gifts us as He chooses, when He chooses, in order to do what He chooses. The person who's especially physically gifted or especially mentally gifted in a specific way, in some kind of specific kind of intelligence, has an innate ability that they can develop or not develop and choose to do with as they please. These things are not true of the gifts of the Spirit. They're not innate. They're given to us by God. They're not something that like, we can choose to walk in them, And if we do walk in the Spirit, we will grow in our ability to do the things that He leads us to do, but not because we've developed a gift, but because we've developed a relationship. And we don't get to do whatever we want with them. We get to do what God leads us to do with them. And He's very clear in a number of places in Scripture that the gifts of the Spirit are given for the people of God. They're not primarily for us. And as soon as we turn them to be about us, they will be gone. (laughs) Well, I shouldn't say as soon as. In the grace of God, it isn't that fast. Um, He gives us us time and space to be repentant and to walk with Him and to make mistakes. He's not the kind of father who's like, you messed up once, it's gone, I'm never giving you another chance. He's the kind of father who loves us and wants us to grow into these things. But if we stubbornly insist on focusing on ourselves and not on His mission and on His purposes— Um, then we can see that he takes those things back. We can see that in the story of Saul, for example, um, who's given incredible gifts as the king of Israel, but does not get to hold on to them. Um, And there's lots of other stories where this is true. So what happens when the Holy Spirit comes into this place, into our hearts, and drawing us into into the heart of God? Salvation happens. Transformation happens as we get drawn into the, the life of God. And equipping happens so that we can be a part of the body on the mission of God, which is leading other people into that same relationship, leading other people into that same salvation and into that same discipleship. Now, given the truth of all of these things, what is our part in this? We are called to walk in step with the Spirit. We are called to welcome the Spirit. Go back to the story of Nathaniel and I. I come into his room, I say, I want to play with you, can we play together? And he's initially surprised and he's happy and he's shocked, and then he made space for me. He said yes, and he showed me, he told me what we were playing, and he told me the rules I had to follow, and we don't get to tell God the rules, but if he had said no, I couldn't make him play with me. I'm his father, I could make him be with me, I could force him to let me be in that room, Um, But if we're going to play together, that requires two of us to be willing to be a part of this. And all of the things that God wants to do in and through us, he has made it such that he needs us to say yes. Now, God can work without our yes. He'll work through other people and he'll work in other ways, but then we won't get to be a part of it and we'll miss out. Um, and, And he doesn't want that. He wants us to welcome him and to be happy he's here and then to walk with him each day. And so I want to give us a space to respond to God our Father, to respond to his sending of the Spirit. You may have done this before. You may not have. It's okay. 
This isn't about guilt. This isn't about you saying, oh, I've never done this before. What have I done wrong? Nothing. It's okay. <laughs> um, it is about joyfully realizing that God is present and telling him you want to walk with him and you want to make space with him, for him and you want to play with him and be joyful with him and be on mission with him and accept the gifts that he offers and use those on behalf of the people of God and the people who don't know God yet. It's something you can do really simply in prayer. You don't, there's no magic formula. There's no magic words. You just talk to God about it. You just thank him that he wants to be with you, that he sent his spirit to live in you, that he wants you to enter into his life and into his heart. And you say yes. And you can ask him in prayer right now, what does that need to look like? There's not just one answer. It may be some of those things that I talked about, going deeper in worship, going deeper in the scriptures, going deeper in prayer. Um, it may be something relational, right? Where, where God says, I want you to talk to someone about this. Um, you may need someone to pray with you as you do this. And we're going to have a couple people up here. Um, there's a few of our elders here I can see, and I'm going to have you guys and your spouses come up, and Christina and I will be up front. And, um, and if you need to pray with someone about this, then come on up. Um, you may, as you're sitting there, be thinking, I don't even know how or if I can do this. That's okay. Um, you're allowed to be in a place of doubt, in a place of struggle, and again, you can wrestle with that with other people, or if you need to just talk that out with God, you can do that. You may be in a position where you've never done this before, and you heard me talking about, you know, in, in the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit is given to you and comes into your life, and you're thinking, I've never had a moment of salvation. Um, if that's you, you can. There's no, like, there's no, you know, there's not like a special time or a special place or a way that you've got to get it exactly right. And if you want to begin that journey this morning, then you are free and I would encourage you to do so. And again, you just talk to God and you tell him that. You tell him you want to walk with him and you want to know him and you want him to lead, lead you in his ways. And if you do that this morning, please do come talk to us. Whether you come up and receive prayer or come up, find me or Aressa afterwards or one of our elders, um, not because you need to in order to be saved, but because we want to walk with you and we want to support you and encourage you and help you in any way we can. So I'm going to call the worship team up. And I don't know if you can play instrumental music quietly for a few minutes, but I just want to invite you into a time of prayer and response right now. We're going to give you a few minutes for that. And then uh, when the worship team actually starts leading us in song, then the prayer teams will take their places up here, the elders and their spouses, and if you need to come up and receive prayer, you'll be free to do that. So hopefully that's clear. There's a few minutes of time to pray, and then when that few minutes is over, if you would like to be prayed with over these things or anything, please come forward to do that. And if not, join us in worship.